And the title of this morning's message is Adventure, That's Not Me. Adventure, That's Not Me. And we're going to And are you ready for your great adventure? It kicks off this morning. And I love that video clip because it talks about taking a leap of faith. And some of you guys are sitting here thinking, Adventure, that's not me. That's not my personality. That's not my mindset. That's not my style, Pastor. I'm going to just sit in the back. I'm going to just be a helper behind the scenes. Adventure is not for me. And on saying that, I hope you tried something new this past week. I hope some of you tried sushi for the first time. If you remember at the last service, I hope you tried sushi for the first time this week. I hope some of you signed up for a 5K. I hope some of you just went to a different grocery store and shopped somewhere else for the first time in your life and experienced life a little bit different, something different than you did last week because so many times we get stuck in a rut and we never begin to live life. We just simply exist. And I'm saying that, I want to read this quote to you. And we're going to end a series called The Graveyard. And Les Brown says this. It says, the graveyard is the richest place on earth. Because it is right here that you will find the hopes and the dreams that were never fulfilled, the books that were never written, and the songs that were never sung, the inventions that were never shared, and the cures that were never discovered. Because someone, because all someone has to do is step out, but they were too afraid to take that first step. I want to ask you, are you too afraid to take that first step? I don't want us to find ourselves 10 years down the road and in a rut because a rut is simply this. A rut is a grave with both ends knocked out. And in a rut, you don't ever find life. You just find things existing. But it's time to pull ourselves out of a rut into a place of great faith where we begin to walk by faith and not by sight. We begin to walk in faith of what God has for us. We begin to do like he did and take a step even into the unknown and watch what God has planned for our life. But many times, because we aren't willing to get out and into an adventurous style of life, we never experience all that God has for us, and we end up ending up going to the grave with books and songs and things that were supposed to be inside of us, let out for the world, that we've never done. And some of you guys are still sitting here thinking this morning, Pastor, but adventure, that's not for me. Well, I'm going to ask you this question. Jesus is ready to take you on adventure. And as he's ready to take you on an adventure, it starts with this. He said, follow me. And that follow me was not figuratively. That follow me was was literally. Today, Jesus is asking the same thing. Follow me, but do it literally. Not just acknowledge me and say, I go to church, I worship, I sing songs. Follow me and do it literally and watch about the adventure that Christ takes you on. As we're getting ready to jump into this message, I want to talk to you a second, just for the Jewish, just about the Jewish culture, just for a second. The Jewish culture, we know that the, the Hebrew people were the ones who God came to and says, uh, you're my chosen nation, and all the lineages come down through them. But I want to talk to you about them just for a second, because when the Hebrew people or the Jewish people talk about stories of old, they talk about them like they had just occurred, and like they were possibly even there at the event. They talk about it like they had just occurred and like they were possibly right there at the event that took place. For example, when they talk about Abraham, we talk about him as the iconic hero of old, the guy who God came to and said, hey, Abraham, trust in me and I'm going to make you the father of many nations and all this. We talk about him like this iconic hero of the Old Testament. Jewish people talk about him like this. That's Father Abraham. That's Father Abraham. He's my lineage. He's my heritage. That's my dad. They talk about him like he's right here, like it happened within their lifetime. They don't talk about him as somebody distant, some historical figure in the past. They talk about him right here, right now. When they talk about King David, they don't talk about King David as this great conquering king. They talk about David, yeah, that's my cousin. (laughs) That's my cousin David. 
You know the one who was a man of obscurity. He was just a ruddy little boy watching his daddy's sheep, and then he went and killed the big Goliath. And then, Yeah, yeah, that, that's David. I know about him. And they talk about David, and they talk about Abraham like they were right there, like they had a personal perspective at the event that took place where we many times, we read the story and we talk about it like a history book. And we got this huge disconnect between what happens in the Bible and what's happening in our life because we read this like we're not really there and we're not really a part of it. They also talk about God in a different context than we do. They talk about God like this, not as a distant God or a God that's far off or out of reach, but a personable, approachable, and if they're sitting right next to him. That's how they talk about God. They don't talk about God, oh, the God way up in heaven, would you please come down and visit us? Listen to how they talk about God in Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 and 2. And some of you need to write this verse of scripture down because I really believe it's for you this morning. Isaiah 43, 1 and 2, it says, But now this is what the Lord says, He who created you, Jacob, whom he formed you, Israel. It says, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. Not God far off, not God way off in the future, or the God in the distance. For I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. He called you by name, and then he says, And you are mine. See, that ought to change some of your lives. God is not the God who calls you from a distance. God's the God who summons you by name and says, you're mine. And if God says, you're mine, we should say, God, you're mine. <laughs> uh, the personal relationship go to going. And it says, I have summoned you by name and you are mine. And listen to this. When you pass through the waters, it doesn't say, I'm going to be watching from a distance. And y'all may love that song by Bette Midler, From a Distance. It's the most the theologically incorrect song ever written. <laughs> that is horrible. God is not watching from a distance because he says, when you pass through the waters, I will be right here with you. Amen. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fires, you will not be burned and the flames will not set you ablaze. If you have a question about it, go talk to your cousin, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, who knew him in the fiery furnace. There were the three, and the king looked up and said, isn't there a fourth man in there that looks like the son of God? Now, come on now. That's good stuff. And see, I can tell by your reaction that what I'm preaching is absolutely 100% true. We view God and the Bible as a history book and a far-off God rather than a personable, approachable God who's right here with us, who's never leaving us or forsaking us, and is always in our midst. What does this have to do with you going on a great adventure? Everything. It has everything to do with you going on a great adventure. Because now that we are born again and we are in Christ Jesus, listen to what the Bible says, and if you are Christ or in Christ Jesus, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs, and I put this in here for Joel, and heirs of the adventure according to the promise. If you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring and you are heirs of the great adventure according to the promise of God. And so now with that one verse right there, it does not mean that God is far off, that God is in a distance, but it means God is right here. He is right here with us. He is approachable. It also does not mean that the Bible is a history book. The Bible is now your lineage. You have been grafted in, as the Bible talks about it, in the book of John. You have been made a part of it, as the Bible talks about it, in the book of Romans. And the Bible goes on to say in Romans 4, 16 and 17, and also in Romans eleven twenty four 24, how we are grafted in, we are a part of the body of Christ now, that he put us in as heirs according to the promise of God. I don't have time to run through all those scriptures. You can read them this week. They're up there. Take a screenshot of it, okay? And so as we go through this, I need you to begin to understand that when we start talking about the Bible, we can no longer look at the lineage and the heritage as something that's not of us, 
Because the lineage of the Bible and the heritage of the Bible is of us. Because here's the problem. A lot of people look at the lineage and look at it as a label. We look at the heritage and think of it as history. When that is a huge disconnect between what the Bible is and what he's called us to do and how we approach it. Some of us never step out in this great adventure of what God has called us to do simply because we read the Bible as a history book, not the inspired word of my God. Notice how I said that. Of my God, not just God, of my God. Of your God. Of the God of the United States of America. Come on. Get with me on that. Listen, if 70% of Americans say that they're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ or say that they actively attend church, whatever the stats may be, that means he's not just a God, he's my God. And so we must begin to approach it like my God. We must begin to approach this book as something completely different. And so as we jump into this this morning, we must begin to talk about the American culture and the disconnect that we have from the word of God. Because here's the problem. The American culture looks at the Bible and the Bible is written multi-generationally and we are in the American culture view the family as an island. Right? The Bible's written multi-generationally. David to Solomon to his sons right? It's written multi-generationally. That's why the genealogy of Jesus, you can trace it all the way back to the beginning. It's written multi-generationally. But we in America, we're happy with our own little island. My four no more, right? Come on now. Get with me. We're happy with my four no more, but that is not how the Bible was written. The Bible was written multi-generationally, so you have a lineage in the body of Christ, not just a label. You have a lineage in the body of Christ, not just a label. Let me read you some of this. Your lineage is now in the Bible. Listen to this about the Word of God. The Bible was written over a 1,500-year time span. 1,500 years compiling all this to the Word of God, the inerrant Word of God that's inspired, that it's God-breathed, This is what is compiled over a 1,500-year time span. So it's multi-generational. It's more than one person wrote it. And it's the lineage of all the saints that have gone on before us written right here in the Word of God. Number two, it's written by more than 40 different authors from every different walk of life. The 40 different authors, some of these were tax collectors, some of these were poets, some of these were philosophers, some were military leaders, some were musicians, some were statesmen, some were shepherds. For example, look at Moses. Moses was a political leader, a judge, and he was trained in the universities of Egypt. He was also abandoned as a baby. Some of you don't have an excuse. My daddy left me, so did Moses. You weren't even putting a, you weren't, you weren't dropped in a river to be eaten by alligators. Come on. Your lineage. You must begin to read the Bible as your lineage. That was Moses. Moses, a great military leader, trained in the universities of Egypt. David, King David, was a king, a poet, a musician, a shepherd, and a warrior. Joshua was a great military leader. Daniel was a prime minister. Solomon was a philosopher. Luke, the one who wrote the gospel of Luke, was a physician and a historian. But Peter, one of the greatest apostles who Jesus said, upon you, I'm going to build my church, was a fisherman. And then you have Matthew, who was a great tax collector. And then you have Paul, who was a genius, literally a genius in his own right, was the greatest Pharisee of all times, was known for the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr in the Bible, or so historians think. God used the very worst of the worst to become his very best of the best. And become an apostle of the apostles and apostle to you and me, the Gentiles. The ones who are grafted in to make the word of God part of our lineage. It was written in different locations. 
Moses wrote in the wilderness, Jeremiah wrote in a dungeon, Daniel wrote on a hillside and in a palace, Paul wrote inside the prison walls. See, Paul may have been in prison, but prison didn't have Paul. This is, how, this is how Paul could say to the slave people, you're free even though you're still a slave because you may be enslaved, but slavery isn't on the inside of you. You may be in bondage to this, but if bondage isn't on the inside of you, your bondage can't last long. So in this life, who Paul wrote in prison, you may be in a place that you don't want to be right now. Start praising and worshiping the God not of heaven, a far off place, but the God who's right here next to you in the midst of the prison cells. And the same thing can ha happen for you. The doors can fly wide open. All the foundations can be shaken and you can go free. But this has got to be more than a book. It's got to be more than a lineage. It's got to be more than words on a page. It's written at different times. David wrote in times of war and sacrifice. Solomon wrote in times of peace and prosperity. Wrote in different settings, in different moods. Some wrote, at the height, some wrote at the heights of joy. Some wrote in the times of doubt and confusion. Some wrote in the times of certainty. And others rose in, uh, wrote in a time of conviction and despair. It was wrote on three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. Written in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. Why do I give you all this information? What does all this mean? Number one, it's your lineage. You need to know what it means. If you want to be a better Christian, a smarter person in the Bible, you just ought to know how it's written, first of all. Like, read the preface of the book, okay? Secondly, I told you all this for this reason, the main reason. You cannot disqualify yourself by your excuses from this great adventure. You are not disqualified. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what you've done up to this point in your life. You can't disqualify yourself, and you can't talk your way out of your part of this great adventure. You can't do it. Because, listen, people wrote on the run, and I promise, don't write on the run because, when, or, or people wrote when they were running, don't write when you're running because of this. You may get swallowed by a whale in the process, and it may have to be a testimony. And listen, y'all all think, oh, Jonah and the great fish, or Jonah and the whale, however you want to explain it. The whale was not a reward, it was a consequence. <laughs> right? So yeah, we glamorize that story. That is not a pretty sight. Jonah's at the bottom of the ocean basically saying, seaweed's wrapped around my neck and I'm drowning and I'm dying. And I finally call on the name of the Lord and then I get swallowed by a fish. And then a fish throws me up, literally as the Bible says, throws me up on dry land. He didn't come out shiny and pretty. <laughs> Don't write on the run. Stop running and hear from God so you know what to write. I tell you all this because this is your lineage. This is your life. This is where we now engraft ourselves into. We can relate to these stories and there's nothing you can do to talk yourself out of this great adventure because God's already heard all the excuses. Listen, you can say I'm too poor. We have every socioeconomic background uh, uh, imaginable as authors of the Bible. Listen, we glamorize the shepherds at Jesus' birth. They were stanky and nasty, and they only came home about once every three months to take a bath. They weren't rich and glamorous and looking all pretty. But then you got the wise men who show up two years after the birth of Christ. With gold and frankincense and myrrh, all documented by a tax collector, the worst of sinners of their time. And if Paul already claimed the title of, I'm the worst of all sinners, I guess if God can use him, he can still use you. And listen, God used King David, and he even called him a man after God's own heart, when he knew David would commit adultery and murder somebody 
to sleep with his wife. And God still, before David even did, said, this is a man after my own heart. Because even after he does this, I know he'll repent and come back to me. So listen, all your excuses, <laughs> they, they don't matter. I didn't graduate high school. I don't care. I didn't have a chance to go to college. I don't care. I, I, well, my parents treated me bad. Doesn't matter. You weren't Moses and abandoned in a river to be eaten by crocodiles. <laughs> Come on. See, some of you got to get this understanding this morning, and I'll stay here for three hours preaching on this point until y'all start accepting that, okay, I guess I'm out of excuses. <laughs> and when we accept that we're out of excuses and say, God, I embrace the word of God, get ready to take me on my great adventure, God will do more with you than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. The problem is, the word of God cannot be a label. It's got to be our lineage. It's got to be what we know is ours. It's got to be what we realize in my life. This is my past. I am embracing the word of God because it's who I am. Because the Bible says that if I am in Christ, then I am Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the great adventure and according to the promises of God. So some of you who want to exist, you don't have a chance. You're called to live. And some of you who are enjoying this wonderful plot in your own graveyard <laughs> remember this Lazarus came forth and Jesus was raised from the dead and Jonah ran too so listen God's got a call on your life and he wants you to use it he wants you to embrace it he wants you to understand what he's calling you to do and who he's calling you to be so we must embrace the lineage of God who is in our life and not have it as a label we also must understand this it's our heritage not a history book it's our heritage, not a history book. Listen to this. It's a new definition I want you to have on heritage. Heritage is not about what you came from. That's lineage. We just talked about lineage. Heritage is not about what you came from. That is lineage. Heritage is about what you are looking to carry forward. Some of you need to start a new heritage for your family. Some of you need to start a new heritage for your kids. Some of you, you're in your 70s, 80s, and 90s, and it's not too late to start a new heritage for the next generation and the next generation. The heritage is not about what you came from. It's about what you realize God is calling you to do and what you're calling to be for carrying forward in your life. I pray that three generations from now, the way Bible Church has done phenomenal things around the globe, and there are still people who receive something here that begin a heritage and carry it forward throughout the days of their life. I pray this, when Jeff's kids and Damon's kids and my kids and Mitch's kids have their kids and their grandkids and we're all old and gray-headed and bald-headed and, and, and just sitting around, which I don't believe that's any of us, honestly, but we don't really sit around, but when all that's done and took in place, we should be able to look at each other and smile and Laura's still making great white man salsa for me. Look at each other and smile and say, look at what our great-grandbabies are doing. I'm so glad we didn't give up on TWBC way back in the year 1999 when it first started. In the year 1999 when it first started, but we, we didn't just start a church, we started a heritage. A heritage to carry forward. A heritage to send down from generation to generation. See, it's not about right now. Get out of the American culture thinking. It's not about you. It's about the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. What are we going to do? What trees are we going to plant today that will carry forward onto the next generations that we'll never get to see or sit under, but we know we planted today? 
It's about a heritage. What are we going to start today that will carry forward for the years to come? And I've been, I've been told this a lot lately in the past six months of my life. Joel, you preach like you're 70. People in their, in, in their mid-30s don't preach about heritage and generations to come. I'm preaching about heritage and generations to come because the Bible talks about heritage and generations to come. The Bible says a wise man will store up for an inheritance for his children's children. So I, gotta, I know my kids. I better start now. I know their mama. I better start now. I'm just playing. Yeah, that's why I moved the pulpit over here. <laughs> Listen to this verse of scripture in Luke. This is, this is a pivotal verse of scripture in my life. Changed my life. It says, then Luke 10, 23 and 24, NIV version. Then turning to the disciples, he said to them privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. If you're wondering what I'm getting at here, we are living right now in the year 2015 in the days that the prophets and kings dreamed about living in. If you ask anybody of old, anybody before who Jesus came, and you say, would you want to live in the Old Testament, or would you want to live in the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God Almighty in the New Testament? Every one of them will say, I want to live in the year 2015, where the power of God is unprecedented, where His Spirit is being poured out without measure, and we can start a heritage that will last for generations to generations to generations. We're living in the days that prophets dreamed about. And, And it's kind of hard for me to fathom that our cousin Isaiah, because we're family now, remember? Our cousin Isaiah, the great prophet of old, who saw the throne in the tabernacle of God and said, oh, I'm wrecked. <laughs> Says, I would rather live in your day, Joel, than experience what I experienced. In our life, in our lifetime, we don't need to be thinking about labels. We need to be talking about a lineage. We don't need to be talking about history. We need to be talking about our heritage, what we're setting forward and what we're about to accomplish. We must begin to think along the lines of being multi-generational in this great adventure that we're going on. Because here's the problem. Many of you come to church, you don't think of yourself as the church. Right? That's the difference between label and lineage, heritage and history. Same, Same difference. The word of God is a book to you. It's not your lineage to you. And if it's just a book to you and it's not your lineage, we need to begin to change our thinking. As we read the word of God and we begin to think of all the history that's taking place, if you begin to think of David and Jeremiah and all the prophets and Matthew and Luke and Peter and all hanging around with Jesus, if you think of that far off, some distant place of how, oh, if Jesus could just walk with me here on this earth today, you're thinking history, not heritage. We, as the body of Christ, as the Way Bible Church, as Joel T. Meyer personally, singular, by himself, When I embraced lineage over labels, I realized the power of God was destined to come to me. Some of y'all need to get that. The power of God is destined to come to you. When I'll start think of heritage over history, heritage rather than history, the power of God is destined to come to me through lineage, but it's destined to go forward through me through heritage. 
Some of you this morning don't realize it, but the power of God is destined to come to you and is destined to go through you to the next generation. And in this book of lineage and heritage, if I don't embrace it as mine, I'll be telling the same thing the prophets of old said. I wish I could have saw what you saw and heard what you heard in your generation. And as we start this process, as we go through lineage, it's your lineage. As we go through heritage, it's your heritage. I'm going to ask you this morning, what are you leaving for right now? If you had to write something down in your life, I've left this mark on my day in my life that the next generation is better for. What would you write down? My, my, my kids are better because I've done this with my life. And most of the time, there's silence in 90% of the people I ask that question to. If we'll begin to embrace lineage and know that the power of God is destined to come to us, and we'll begin to embrace heritage where we know that the power of God as it's come to us is destined to go through us, we will see God's great adventure take place. And I had a lot more to this message I could preach. But God said, I need you to stop right there. Because until we embrace lineage, until we embrace heritage, God said, I'm going to be handcuffed and I can't move forward. And it kind of broke my heart because I'm like, God, I got a bunch of stuff. He said, good, save it for Easter. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Today, if I told you, write down one thing, one thing, that your kids and your grandkids are better off because you lived, what would that be? Because here's the problem. We got a bunch of men that know how to procreate but not raise men. We got a bunch of women who knows how to have babies but not raise mamas to take care of the next generation. And listen to this. I'll make it real simple for you. Out of all the people in the, out the Bible who are listed with the Hall of Fame of Faith and all the great things they did in Hebrews 11, two people are my favorite. Because two people are listed in that Hall of Fame of Faith and the only great thing they did for their families was this. Before they died, they laid their hands on their kids and they blessed them. That's all they're known for. They laid their hands on their kids and all they're known for is blessing them. If your kids remember nothing about you as a parent, they should remember this. I remember the nights my dad would come into the bedroom, not screaming mad, but he would lay his hands on me and bless me. And bless me. And said, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. You'll be mighty on this earth. The blood of Jesus covers you. The angels of God surround you. And he would bless me. And I am who I am today because he blessed me. What heritage are you leaving your mark on in this world? What are you leaving that the next generation can take forward? You can leave your kids a million dollars, but if they don't know that they're blessed, they're already bankrupt. I'm telling you, it's time that we embrace heritage. It's time we know lineage, where we came from. It's time we embrace heritage, where we're going.